Guys, welcome everyone from my side. Um, we're so glad you're here today. For those that don't, don't know me, my name is Louis Skippers, and I am the lead pastor at Grace Church. And it's my privilege to share a short message with you today that is aimed at all of us, but we're going to have a bit of fun in it as well for the kids. So just quickly before we start it, if you do have a smaller kid that gets restless, although we don't have kids church except for our two and three-year-olds today, we have a parents' room in the foyer if you need to make use of it. But um, if you can keep them calm for just a couple of more minutes, there's going to be some fun and games for them soon. We are busy with a series called Summer Mix where we share some of the best things we have to share, like a summer mixtape where you would add all of your favorite songs and then listen to that on your road trip. That's what we're doing during the summer. We're listening to some of our best messages and fun messages. And today I wanted to start my story, this, this sermon, this message with a story of when I was growing up. So in Canada, how many poisonous snakes do you have? Do you guys know? One in a ridiculously big country. And it's not even here. Okay, I grew up in South Africa. Do you know how many poisonous snakes we have? I have no idea. Just too many to count. Basically, anything that doesn't have legs is trying to kill you. So when, when I was little, I think I was grade six or something, we moved to a, to a new community. We stayed in a farming community right next to the church where my dad was a pastor. And we arrived at this big house early in the morning with our truck full of furniture. Um, they started to offload. And this was one of those days that you do not want to remember for the rest of your life. Because first of all, we had no electricity. Something went wrong, our electricity is off. So they're trying to fix the electricity while we're moving in. Secondly, the painters dumped a bunch of stuff in our toilets. So the whole sewage system is blocked. Okay. So we cannot go to the toilet and we cannot make coffee. Okay, that's a crisis. Not for a grade six, but I'm, I'm sure for my parents it was a crisis. Okay, so we couldn't go to the toilet. We finally have all the furniture offloaded, and my parents put our camping chairs under the, cha- under the tree to just take a bit of a breather. We're sitting there hanging out. Next moment, my brother, that's in grade two, runs out of the house screaming. Somebody's like, what's going on? He's like, no, there was this little toy snake under his curtain, and when he reached out to touch the snake to grab its tail to pick it up, the snake slivered away. So we're like, okay, it's not a toy snake. So we go inside. My dad and I, he opens the curtains, and guess what we found there? A Mozambique spitting cobra. Okay, so they are poisonous, and um, they call them a spitting cobra because they can actually spit at your face, at your eyes. So we find this Mozambican spitting cobra there. My dad had a wedged against the wall and then cut his head off with a knife. Like, that is like old school way, you know, like no messing around. No, there's no one to come and catch a snake. We're in a farming community. There we don't play with snakes, we kill them. But <laughs> anyway, that's one of my first memories. So I grow up a little bit. The one Sunday, I'm, go- I'm walking to church. My mom is there. My dad is there. I'm kind of like lost in line. And I walk out of our house, and we've got a little pedestrian gate between our house and the church. And there against the fence goes, guess what? Another Mozambique spitting cobra. And I'm like, our dogs are here. So what am I going to do? So I'm probably now like grade seven or eight. So I grab the shovel, put on my sunglasses so that it doesn't spit me in the face. 
and chopped off his head. Okay, so I know that most of you do not have that experiences with snakes, but trust me, if half of the snakes in the country is trying to kill you, you you're like, who's first, me or you, buddy? But I'm not going to give them a chance. So that, that was me growing up with snakes. I saw a snake, it really scared me, and then I had to save myself. And that is our topic today for our summer mix series, is a snake... A scare and salvation. Now, no, salvation is a big word. That's a fancy word, word to say saving you from someone, something or rescuing you from something. And we're going to read a story from the Bible today where the Israelites, the people of God, they were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. God saves them out of Egypt, and now they are on this long journey out of Egypt to a land that God has promised to them. And we're going to read together today a part of the Bible in Numbers 21, verse 49, a couple of verses from the Bible, where the Israelites encountered a snake, a scare, and salvation. Okay, Numbers 21, verse 4. The people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. Who's ever been impatient when you're on a long journey and you keep asking your parents, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Five minutes later, mom, are we there yet now? Like, no, we just moved five kilometers. The people were impatient. And they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna. Manna was a special food that God gave them every day. Because there's not a lot of food in the desert, right? So every morning when they woke up, there was these white fluffy things on the ground. that almost looked like bread or snow. And it tasted like honey. And they couldn't collect it and keep it because it would go bad. But God just supplied this miraculous food to them. Then verse 6. Because they were moaning and complaining so much, the Lord sent poisonous snakes amongst the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed. And then the Lord told Moses, Make a replica, so a huge copy of a poisonous snake, and attach it to a pole. And all who are bitten will live if they simply look at the snake on the pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. That's what we're going to read today. So before we continue, who of the kids here has ever touched the snake? Okay, some of you. So I've got a surprise today. We've got two special guests Two snakes that came to visit us. And now before we get to that, okay, I know this is Canada, this is not Africa. I don't want to be sued because there's a snake in the room. <clears throat> so warning, live snakes will be on the stage. They could slither in between your feet. I don't know. So if you have hard conditions, <laughs> move to the back of the room for this part of the message. If you're one of those people who jump on a chair when there's a mouse in the room, Move to the back of the room. Okay, we're not going to think funny of you. We all don't chop off heads of snakes, so um, you're welcome 
But this is an actual warning. Okay? This is not, not a joke. So we've got two snakes. And I'm going to ask Richard to bring our guests for us to the stage. So we've got two guests here. Three, t- uh, yeah, three guests. I'm gonna, can you move them a little to the middle? Otherwise, the camera is not going to see them. So we've got two, and I'm going to introduce them one by one. And um, the first one we have is called Coffee. And guess where both of our snakes are from? Africa. Because you have no serious snakes in Canada, okay? So our first one is a ball python. And his name is Coffee because they're supposed to have some yellow in them, but this one doesn't have. So if there's any kids that wants to touch a snake, come and line up right here. Come and line up right here. Okay. Okay, couple of rules. Okay, this, this is a lot of kids. This... Okay, no quick movements. Okay, slow movements. When you touch the snake, touch it properly. So don't scare it, don't move fast. Richard is going to move past you. If you don't want to touch, you can just look. Okay, Richard, it might be easiest for you to go down the line, I think. So this snake can grow up to 50 feet long and eat a whole... No, I'm joking. This is about a fully grown ball python. They grow to about five feet long. I've got no idea how long feet is because I moved to a metric country and you're not supposed to be using feet. (coughs) Okay, if you do lose a hand, remember I did have a warning up there. Okay, if you're done, you can move around the side back to your seat so Richard has space to move through. The ball python lives in Central Africa, just below the Sahara Desert, in a couple of countries there. Mark. Okay, so let me give you an interesting fact as well. We have pythons in South Africa, but guess what the difference is between a bull python and South African pythons? South African ones are bigger. They can eat little kids, and they eat little goats and stuff. Yes, I'm not joking. It actually happens. This one is not that bad. It does have no venom, but it will bite onto its prey wrap around it, and then as it wraps around you, it will squeeze the air out of your lungs and eat you. Or eat the rabbit, not you. It's too small to eat you. Okay, if you've touched Mr. Coffee, grab your seat again, because we've got a second one that we're going to bring out. 
But this one is not like coffee. So the story we read about in the Bible, those were not pythons. Python has no poison. It cannot kill you. But what did the ones in the Bible do to the people? It killed them, right? So it was poisonous snakes. So we have another African friend here today. This one actually do live in South Africa. So guess what? It is poisonous. If you didn't get it by now, you still don't get South Africa. We're not as bad as Australia. There, everything kills you in a couple of seconds, even a jellyfish. Okay. Everyone on the balcony, I think you're safe. Unless it decides to sliver up one of the pillars. Okay, guys, we're going to wrap it up because Richard has to help me with the second snake. So quickly touch it. Let me give you a bit of information on the second snake. Now, I want you to listen before we take it out. Again, there's a warning. If you don't like snakes, move to the back. Our second snake is called, you ready? Our second snake is called a forest cobra or a black cobra. And it is the largest of all the true cobra species. It can grow up to 3.2 meters long. This one is not quite that long, but it's still fairly long, probably about a meter and a half to two. And Black cobras have a postsynaptic neurotoxin. So this is not the most potent snake. It doesn't have the worst poison of all the snakes, but this is what is interesting about the black cobra. It can inject really, really large quantities of poison really quickly. So if it does bite you, it will put so much poison in your bloodstream that you have 30 to 120 minutes to make it to a hospital to get an antivenom, otherwise you will not survive. Okay, so Richard, can you come and help me with our black cobra? So I'm going to take this one out. No one can touch this snake. No one can come close to the stage now, but we wanted you to, one, have the ability to touch a snake, but then it seems like all snakes are friendly and all snakes are not friendly. Coffee is an exception. But I wanted you to see what an actual um, black cobra would look like as well. Wynn, can you hold the mic for me? Because now my headset is dead, so... So we have to be careful with this one. Luckily, this is something that I grew up with. But it's still always risky. We never want to scare it. Okay. Got him? 
Got it. Yeah, you got his head. Okay, you're good. You're good. Get out! What, what was our title today? S-Snake. And Dean? Did everyone have a good scare? Otherwise, we have to try again. Guys, let's give a hand to Richard and his family and Mr. Coffee. I wanted to throw that snake further, but since I moved all the hard-conditioned people to the back, I was like, let's just keep it to the front, right? <laughs> Guys, so what can snakes, being afraid, and salvation, what does that teach us about God? And I wanted to share a couple of ideas with you that I think is so important because some of the stuff that the Israelites lived with, although we don't face snakes that kill us, we have similar things in our life that we struggle with. Is everyone still breathing? I think we have doctors in the house. Okay. The Israelites were frustrated. They were on this long journey for 40 years in a wilderness. And just like kids sometimes get frustrated when the journey is too long, the Israelites got frustrated and they then started to grumble. They started to complain against God. They're like, God, why did you bring us here? Why do you allow these bad circumstances? And I don't know about you, sometimes I get frustrated about stuff. Like not getting the candy when I wanted the candy like after breakfast, right? Everyone with toddlers knows about that. Or we get frustrated when the road is too long. Or we get frustrated when we're not getting the marks in the test that we hoped for. Or we get frustrated when I don't make the team or when I don't make the friends that I was hoping for. Or we get frustrated when we worked hard and we don't get the promotion at work. We get frustrated when our financials are not making a turn for the positive, especially in the current financial climate. We, are, we get frustrated when my marriage feels like it's getting worse and worse and I can't see light at the end of the tunnel. And what is sad to me is that often, just like the Israelites, when they were facing something that frustrated them, something that was hard, they chose to go after something that they believed would be a solution. And they thought it would be the Egyptians. The same people that kept them prisoner, that kept them as slaves for 400 years, the same people that hit them with whips, that abused them, but they are like, maybe that will be a quick fix to our problem and we'll be better off. And what is interesting, every single one of us, whether we are little kids, whether we're teenagers or adults, we all grab onto temporary superficial things to help us solve some of the frustrations that we experience in life. If you're two years old, the thing you hold on to, the thing that you hope will bring relief is a tantrum. You throw yourself on the ground and kick and scream and think that will help. Sadly, we know today for a lot of teenagers, when you are feeling frustrated because you're not accepted or you feel like you're not getting the recognition, self-inflicted harm, eating disorders. For adults, it doesn't get any better because we also take things like numbing substances, and now I'm not just talking about alcohol or drugs and stuff like that, but hours in front of the TV, that doesn't contribute anything to your life, but just to numb some of the frustrations you're experiencing. 
unethical behavior to get the money that you didn't get through the promotion. We all grab onto things in order to deal with the frustrations we experience in life with the hope that it will temporarily mend what we're experiencing. But here's the thing. Egypt was not good for them. That temporary care would have just enslaved them again. And what is sad to me is every time that we grab onto these temporary cares to mend broken pieces of our heart, to solve the, the issues that we struggle with, to deal with our frustration, what we don't realize is all of these things seem to enslave us as well. And if you go and read the stats, whether it's about social media, about TV, we see how addictive behavior is directly linked to all of these things. So it's not even just the normal addictive substances that we're like, sometimes feel like, oh, I don't deal with that. We all deal with these temporary things that doesn't actually cure us, but enslave us. You see, the Israelites had to make a choice, and they made a choice for Egypt when they saw those snakes, they were, or, or when they saw the food crisis that they have, and they weren't ever actually having a crisis, they were being supplied miraculous food by God, but at that moment, they're like, we're bored of that food, I'm frustrated, I face a dilemma, so they want to go back to Egypt, but what they didn't realize was a choice for Egypt was also a choice against God, the only one who could actually take care of them, the only one who could supply in their needs, the only one who could solve their frustrations, who could bring true, deep change to their lives. You see, we all have one of two responses when it comes to good and bad things in life. You only have one of two actual responses. The first response is to head towards God. And the second response is to pull away from God. Let me give you an example. Okay, everything went really well. You did get the promotion. You do feel successful. Everything seems okay. Option one, towards God. We decide to thank God for His grace. Even if you're here today and you're like, Lou, but I don't believe in God. Guess what the Bible says? His common grace still makes it rain over you. He still provides for you whether you trust in Him or not. And you've got a choice to lean into him and say, God, thank you for your provision. Or you've got the choice because everything is so good. We live in a first world, a developed country. It's easy for us to think and believe that we are self-sufficient, that I can take care of my frustrations and my problems and my mistakes and my issues on my own. So then instead of leaning into God because I'm successful, I'm like, God, I don't need you. I can deal with this on my own. But at some point, whether you like it or not, the tides will turn and you will face hardship. You will face difficulty. You will face frustration in life. No matter who you are, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, it doesn't matter. That's the ebbs and flow of life, right? And when the bad stuff happens, we've got a choice to say, God, like, I cannot handle this. Like, I don't like this food, God. I don't like facing this issue. I don't like the fact that I didn't get a promotion. Please help me. And then I can lean into God and be like, God, you are my answer. Or I can pull away from God and say, like, God, I don't, I don't trust you anymore. Because look at the bad stuff. This must be due to you. And it doesn't matter that you maybe did something wrong that directly led to the consequence or whether it's just the brokenness of the world, but we can either lean into God or blame God for what's happening in our lives. The Israelites chose, instead of heading towards God in this moment, after all the miracles that He's done, after all the ways that He's provided for them, they chose to pull away from God. 
And there was a consequence to their decision. And the consequence was the poisonous snakes. Our choice of replacing God with all kinds of empty things also leads to bad consequences. And it's not all caused by God. We sometimes just cause it ourselves. But what I am thankful for is that God has found a different way to deal with us. Because if his answer to deal with broken people was still poisonous snakes, I would have had a lot of poisonous snakes in my house throughout the years. Because I get frustrated. I sometimes struggle with sin. I sometimes have issues in my own life. And I'm so thankful that the answer is not snakes anymore. Because I would have probably not survived. But God, the way God is, and the, the true God of the Bible is a God that always gives a way out. The moment when they said, like, God, we can't deal with this on our own. We need your help. God told Moses to make a copper snake, put it on a pole, and then whenever a snake would bite you, if you looked at that snake on the copper pole, you wouldn't die. Now, this almost seems a little weird because it feels like, did God just tell them to make an idol? No, that's not what God said. Okay? This is not about the snake. But this is what it is often about, like religion. And if you have a wrong perception of Christianity, this would be your perception of it. A religious perception will tell you one of two things. Either one, that God overlooks sin and therefore he just takes care of all of us and saves all of us, no matter what we believe or how we live or whatever we do. Or the second wrong perception is that because of sin and because of separation between me and God, if I do enough good stuff, then I will be okay. Both of those are false. Because the same God of the Israelites is our God that is holy and beautiful and he's got a plan and a purpose for your life and that plan does not involve us ruining our own lives. And he cannot stand the sin in our lives, but he always offers a way out. You see, this snake that Moses put on that pole... Salvation didn't come through the snake. The moment of saving them didn't come through the snake, but it had to do with their focus and their trust. See, the snake on the, on the pole didn't have magical powers. But when that snake got them on the leg, they had a choice in that moment to either focus on the pain and the scariness and the frustration of the current reality or to take their eyes off the problem and to put it on this random copper snake with no power, but which God made a promise about. And God said, if you keep your eyes on that, if you take your eyes off of your problem, off of your pain, and you put your eyes on this snake, then you will be saved. So they weren't saved because of a copper snake, but their salvation had to do with their focus and their trust in the promise of God. And this is kind of like the journey that God had with people from the beginning of time. Like people messing up and God saving them. But finally, this story points to something that didn't happen for a couple of, like about a couple of hundred years after this event. This story points to something that happened then, and that is the cross of Jesus. 
Because God finally said, like, listen, if I have to rely on people to just keep doing the right thing, like, it's never going to happen. So I'm just going to intervene, and I'm going to give them an opportunity to save themselves. It's so much better than a copper snake or anything else. And we read about it in John 3, verse 14 to 17, where Jesus himself is speaking. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up that bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Because when she... Jesus came to earth when God sent Jesus to die on a cross, when God sent Jesus to be elevated on a wooden pole. God didn't do that because he was bored of the beauty of his heaven. God didn't do that because he needed a new experience. God did that, the Bible says, for one and one single reason. And he did that for the love, because of the love that he has for me and for you, despite the questions that you had when you walked through these doors today. Despite the doubts that sometimes fill your heart. Despite your bad past that you think if anyone finds out about this, like no one will accept me. Despite that. Despite the fight that you had in the car on your way here, despite all of our mistakes, God looks at us and he's like, I love you so much that I will do anything to save you. And Jesus came and he died on that cross so that the little snakes of life that bite us, our frustrations, our sin, our turning away from God won't be our end. But he doesn't force it on anyone. He told the Israelites, that snake bites you. You have to choose whether you're going to focus on the crisis, focus on the frustration, focus on the pain, or whether you're going to focus on that snake on the pole. And the beauty about Jesus, and we might be like, but if God loves us so much, why doesn't he just save us? Why Why don't we just all... Like living in a new relationship with Him. Because that's not how relationships work. You can't force your love onto someone and they love you. I have to choose to love my wife and she has to choose to love me. That's how true love works. So God gave His everything to prove His love to us, but He invites you to respond to His love. He invites me and He invites you to look away from our pain, to look away from our mistakes, to look away from our sin and see the cross of Jesus and realize that I can't save myself just like the Israelites couldn't save themselves from that snake. That I am not enough on my own. That I will never find, like, truly find purpose and meaning in this life if I don't know Jesus. That I will never have certainty about the end of my life and what comes after that unless I know Jesus. The Israelites chose to look at that copper snake. And so God wants us to choose to look at the cross of Jesus. So God wants us to choose to believe in His Word. That whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. Will have a new restored relationship with their Creator. And will experience not just life to the fullest here on earth. But will experience perfect 
the perfect life, perfection in the life after this. Just as they couldn't save themselves, I can't save myself. I'm a fixer. I'm a bit of a control freak. I'm a type A personality. I love to fix things and problems. But I didn't need to do a lot of growing up before I realized that I can't solve all of my own issues. I realized that a long time ago in my own life that every time that I tried, every time that I tried to put a band-aid on that wound, it would just start bleeding again. I realized that I need a superhuman savior, someone bigger than me, someone who transcends my frustrations, who transcends my sin, who transcends my problems. And God has provided that savior to us. And his name is Jesus. And if you are here today and you still feel like the Israelites, you are still busy putting on band-aids on problems that a band-aid can't fix. All he's asking of you is look up to the cross. So what I'm going to do is, and Tim is going to come and play for us on the keyboard. And then what I want to do, I'm going to do two things before I end the service in prayer. Is I want to invite you, if you have not made a decision to put your focus on Jesus, to trust Him. If you are still consumed by other things in this world and by the pain and the brokenness of your own life. He wants to offer you a way out. And this is how simple the Bible says is. You don't have to prove your worth. Jesus already said you are worth it. This is how simple the Bible says it is. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and Savior and you confess it with your mouth, then you're saved. Then you start the journey with Him. Don't start the journey by being a perfect person because none of us are. You start the journey by making a choice. So I'm going to ask that we all close our eyes. Tim is going to play for us in the background. And I want to ask you for a couple of seconds, just think about your own life. What frustrations, what brokenness, what pain, what hurt and heartache, what mistakes are still crippling you. What band-aids have you tried to put on that is temporary but that actually just enslaved you more? Maybe you're struggling with an addiction today. Maybe you're struggling with a sin that you cannot break with. Maybe you're struggling with so much hatred for a person that you just can't move past it. There is healing to be found in Jesus. So as all of our eyes are closed, I want to invite you all to pray a prayer with me. And why do we all pray? So that the person who needs to do this for the first time tomorrow is not single, this morning is not singled out. But if you have not put your trust in Him, it's as simple as praying a prayer, like the one we're going to pray now. I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to just repeat, all of us, repeat after me. And if you need to declare it today for the first time, it's not just about speaking words, it's about believing in your heart. Let's pray and repeat this after me. Jesus, I come to you today broken and lost in my mistakes. Thank you that you have saved me and that you can give me new life.
I surrender my life to you today. Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. Fill me with new purpose and give me hope of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's that simple. And I want to invite you right after the service. If you go out our main doors, there's a welcome desk. Just behind the welcome desk is a door to our boardroom where we have a next steps class called Step Into Faith. And there we talk about what it means to follow Jesus. And if you made a decision for Jesus today, you need to pop in there. It's a class for an hour and we will make sure to look after your kids. We'll make a plan. But if you need to be there, you need to be there. If you already believed in Jesus, but you haven't been baptized, we're going to have a big baptism celebration in September. And then we want you to go through those doors as well. Join us for that. Um, or if you're just unsure what grace means, what it means to truly follow Jesus, that's the place you want to go. So we want to invite you after the service at 11.30. Grab a coffee quickly directly after the service. At 11.30, we're going to meet in the boardroom and um, we're going to share about it there. I'm going to pray for us and then um, Etienne is going to do the benediction, the blessing for us. Where's Etienne? Okay, I've got him. Let's just pray. Jesus, thank you for your amazing grace. That just transcends my understanding. Without you, we would have no hope. We would have no future. We would be so lost in our brokenness and frustrations and mistakes and in the little band-aids we try to put on it that we would just be heading nowhere. But I thank you, Jesus, that you loved each one of us so much that you were willing to give your life for us. I pray for every person here, whether they are part of Grace Church, another church, or not a church yet, I pray that you would fill our lives with your spirit, that you would move us to grow closer to you every day. Help us to trust you a little more every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.